We're in Luke chapter 15 this morning. Beginning in verse 1 through 3, and then verses 8 through 10. Read with me, Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Verse 8. Or a woman, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. This, this is exciting. Thank you so much, Casey. All your hard work on this. And thank you, church. 49000 $64 given missionally in 2019 by this church. It's amazing. I want to uh, remind you that uh, this week is the Grace Partnership uh, Conference taking place over in Orlando. Um, I want to invite you. We have 20 to 25 of us headed over there this week. Um, would love to see you there. You can sign up on the webpage. If you can make it to a session, um, Aaron and I had this discussion this week. Uh, just want to invite you to make it over to a session or two, if you can make it for a day. Um, there are expenses for doing the conference, and so um, we're just asking $15 per session. Um, but we want to invite you over. I'll be preaching, I think it's Friday night. You can look up the, the schedule uh, at gracepartnership.net. Um, I'll be speaking Friday night um, from Romans chapter 8. I'd love to see you there. I'd love to have kind of the home court crowd support. That would be helpful. But if you're not able to be there, I would very much appreciate your prayers. So please keep that in mind. Keep, keep that in prayer. Much appreciated. We are um, taking a break from Isaiah, and this morning we are introducing our three-week series on mission. Uh, if you're new to Trinity, every year we do anywhere from two to four weeks early in the year um, on mission uh, because our hearts are dull and we need it. Yes. We need to be reminded and so um, this series that we're in is really what we're after is the heart of God as it relates to mission. <sighs> Casey, how did it go? Did she walk out? Are you here? So what was the saying from Danny Spitters? Oh, knowing comes before doing, but doing So knowing comes before doing. I'm just going to hang on to the first half of that. And knowing comes before doing. And that's really what we're after. We want to know the heart of God. Rather than just run out and do evangelism, we need to kind of step back and get a hold of the heart of God. Father, we would ask you 
over this, uh, this sermon this morning and this next couple of weeks, Lord, that you would capture our affections for you. Lord, and in so doing, help us to go. Help us to speak. Help us to open our mouths. Help us to speak gospel truths and help us to do so informed by who we know in the heart of our God. Lord, help us this morning as we walk through one of these parables here in Luke 15. Bless us with your spirit's presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two salty dog Australian sailors disembarked in London having been on their ship for many, many months, when they disembarked, they headed straight for the pub. When they finally left the pub, feeling a bit tipsy, late at night, they entered the London streets, London fog had begun to settle in. They didn't know their surroundings, they were lost and drunk. Through the London fog mist, a very, very decorated British naval officer was taking a late night stroll in uniform. As he made his way through the mist towards these Aussies, their, his medals were shining in the London streetlights. As the officer came near to these two Australians, one of the Australians said, hey, bloke, and I won't finish with an Australian accent because I can't do it, but hey, bloke, can you tell us where we are? At which point the British naval officer, completely, thoroughly offended, said, do you know who I am? The one Aussie looked to the other Australian, said, hey, mate. We're in a worse mess than we thought. We don't know where we are and he doesn't even know who he is. <laughs> and like a couple of drunk sailors, we know that we're supposed to evangelize, but so often we don't know the God of mission. And we run out to do evangelism and we miss the very heart of God of mission. And for us, Trinity, rather than stumbling through the streets half drunk, we would do well to look carefully at who it is that we evangelize. Because if we don't know the heart of God for the lost, we, we evangelize out of guilt you know what I mean by that? And we just go, because we know we're supposed to evangelize. And so go evangelize. And we either do that or we don't do that, but we feel guilty either way because of how we're going about it rather than who we're doing it for. We can speak to lost people with a note of self-righteousness or even disgust disdain for their gross sinfulness. We can be disgusted with the world and its sin 
And we forget that the person in front of us is a lost person in need of God's saving grace and mercy. We can be more aware of a person's lifestyle choice, which might lead us to try to convince a person to change their lifestyle rather than being aware of the person who stands before us as a person created in the image of God and in need of his mercy. The goal is not to convert a person out of drugs or a lifestyle or whatever immorality that might be standing in front of us. The goal is that they come to know Jesus Christ. We get the cart before the horse. The goal is to introduce them to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And when a person comes to Jesus, well, for any of us who have come to Jesus, lifestyle changes have happened. We get the cart before the horse. We can also err by just speaking lots of words. We just keep piling on the words upon words and we never get to the gospel and we don't really say anything at all. In all of this, we need to know the heart of God toward the lost. Knowing God's heart for the lost reveals the lengths he has gone to save the lost. This is what drives mission. We've been commissioned to join him in the all-out search for lost people to come to know him. And when they do, we will join with heaven in the celebration. So our goal over these next three weeks is to show you God's heart for the lost. Our goal isn't really to tell you, go and evangelize. Our goal is to preach the heart of God and allow his heart for lost people to then drive ours, which is why... Casey's uh, quote there this morning is so appropriate. And so we begin by looking at the heart of God for the outcast. Again, verses one through three. Now the tax collectors and sinners, <clears throat> excuse me, were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, <clears throat> saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Let's pause there. Did you know ever since Luke chapter nine, Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem. Chapter 9, verse 51 says it like this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem, to go to Jerusalem. When the days drew near, we, we could say it like this. When the days drew near for Jesus to lay down his life on the cross, he set his face to Jerusalem. When the days drew near for him to offer forgiveness for sinners, he set his face to Jerusalem. And if you read through the Gospels, you have this, this regular occurring um, kind of title or, or beginning of, of each episode. On his way to Jerusalem... And he's going to Jerusalem to lay down his life. Along the way to Jerusalem, Luke's gospel especially makes a point to show the reader God's heart for the outcast. Now it doesn't usually, it doesn't say outcast, but here's what, they, here's what it does say. God's heart for the leper. God's heart for the Samaritan. God's heart, I need to say, for the, for the women. Unfortunately, in this society and that day, women were included in that category. And Luke's gospel, ladies, you ought to read Luke's gospel because no other of the four of the, the, four of the gospels includes more episodes to say 
the women. The women, Jesus reaches out to the women and Jesus reaches out to the leper and Jesus reaches out to the Samaritan. Ladies, you will love the gospel of Luke. As Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, he made another crowd of people very uncomfortable and that was the Pharisees. They assume, the Pharisees do, that they're the righteous ones. And these outcasts, well, they're outcasts. And so you don't want to, as a righteous one, rub shoulders with these outcasts because they're unclean, unlike us, the Pharisees. And so that's their assumption, that we're so righteous, we are so clean that we don't want to bump up against these unclean people because to bump up against the unclean people is to be made unclean. So in Luke chapter 10, let's see the lead up to Luke 15. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 11, he has this great exchange with a Pharisee who's invited Jesus over for dinner. And when Jesus arrives, Jesus doesn't wash his hands before dinner. And the Pharisee uses that to confront Jesus. Why don't you wash your hands? And what does Jesus tell him? You wash the outside of the cup while the inside of the cup is filthy. You have an appearance of cleanliness from the outside, but the inside, your heart is filthy. We go from chapter uh, 11 to chapter 12. At the end of chapter 11, the Pharisees, angry with Jesus, they, it says, they lay in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Then chapter 12, he increases his confrontation of the religious on the outside, clean, but on the inside, unclean Pharisees. And he says to, he says to them, and he says to those who are around the Pharisees, beware, imagine this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of their heart uncleanness, right? What is the concern of the, uh, of the Pharisee with the unclean around them? We don't wanna rub shoulders with the unclean because we'll get dirty. Jesus is saying, beware of these guys because they look clean, but their inside is beware of that leaven. Wow. Chapter 13, Jesus continues to escalate. He tells the parable of the barren fig tree that it doesn't bear fruit. It has an appearance of being something. It has an appearance of being a fig tree, but it's really not. It's not producing a fig tree. And so it can look like something on the outside, Pharisees, but the inside is not producing any fruit. He goes on from What's that? Chapter 13 to chapter 14, he, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day while he was dining at a Pharisee's house. And the tension in the room is growing and growing. He then tells uh, the, the, the Pharisee the parable of the great banquet that invitations are to go out to these honored guests and one honored guest after the other 
I can't make it for this reason. I can't make it for this reason. I can't make it. And Jesus says, listen, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to, go out, to, to come in. Meaning go out to the outcasts. Go out to, the, to those who are, who are not high and mighty and invite them to come in. Go invite the people that you as a Pharisee would never invite to your banquet is what Jesus is saying. And then we come to chapter 15. I want you to feel that build up as we come to verse one of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to to him, meaning the outcast, the despised, the unclean on the outside people, people who don't even clean the outside of the cup, much less the inside of the cup. And they're drawing near to Jesus. And as they draw near to Jesus, the religious people, the ones who are clean on the outside of the cup, pull away from Jesus. The religious pull back. The very people who should be drawing near to Jesus, the religious people, pull back because they don't want to mix with the dirty sinner. And the very people who should be pulling back, the tax collector and sinners, are drawing near. One crowd, the religious, didn't know the heart of God. The other crowd, the outcast, is getting to know the heart of God by how the Son of God is reaching out to them. Tax collectors were scandalous. They were loathed, vultures of Jewish society. They participated in stealing from fellow Jews, putting some of that tax money in their own pocket. And the rest of the taxes would go to the Roman government, which financed their own oppression of the Jewish people. They were often very wealthy, making their lives a greater stench to the Pharisees. The Pharisee believed that tax collectors and sinners do not deserve the grace of God. And they were right. 100% right. What they failed to realize is the self-righteous, self-religious, doing good religious things did not deserve the grace of God either. If you were religious, if you were a Pharisee, then have nothing to do with these outcasts, these irreligious low lives. That's what led to verse number two. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse three, so he told them this parable. And actually, he told them three parables. Three parables in rapid succession. Nowhere else do we see in God's word, Jesus giving three consecutive parables. He's making a point. Jesus' response shows us the heart of God for lost people. Nowhere else do we see 
these three parables like this in rapid fire. The parables are really going to raise the stakes before these religious leaders. Because Jesus is saying, you know what? Not only do I eat with sinners, but I seek after them. Why does he eat with them? Why does he go seeking after them? That's Jesus' point. He wants us to see the heart of God. And in so doing, we are to repent of our pharisaical, keep your distance, self-righteous hearts and be moved to join God in the mission of reaching the lost. Number two, the heart of God towards the lost. In Luke 19, verse 10 says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus wants the Pharisees. Jesus wants us to do some theologizing. He's showing us the heart of God. Look at verse eight again. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? As Jesus eats with the unclean and the religiously on the outside clean, the leaders don't like this. And I'm saying to you, this reveals the very heart of God. This is, this is Jesus in these parables. He's doing theology for us. He's, he's answering the question, what is God like? Who is God? What is the heart of God towards the lost, unclean person? The parable lives then to help us see who God is. He is the God who seeks after that which is lost. Like the woman who turns the lamp on, sweeps the house, and it says, and I love this, seeks diligently until she finds the lost coin. Jesus is living this. He eats with sinners and tax collectors because God is a God of love and mercy and he cares and he is pursuing the lost. He is on mission. He's turning the lights on. He's sweeping the floor and he's searching for lost people. We're to see those truths and they're to sink in to our hearts, not just on a mental level, but on a life level. We're to see we were the outcast. And Christ came and he sought you and I out. You're here this morning if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. He sought you out. You were that coin. You were that lost coin. You couldn't seek him out. Coins don't go looking for their owner. They don't have the wisdom to do so. They just exist in a pile of dust underneath the bed, underneath the dresser, tucked away somewhere. They don't go looking for the owner. People think, I found God. Oh, praise be to God. No, friend, God found you. He rescued you. God was not lost. He did not need to be found. And in our sinfulness, we would never go looking, even if we were able to do so. 
God went looking for you. The heart of God is that he is love and because he is love, he went on an all out search for that which is lost, which is you and me. This love of God towards you, the outcast, is then to be the motivation for us to mission today. We've all lost things. Some things you lose and you hardly notice. Not a big deal. Some, thing you, some things you lose and it's not okay. You're gonna lose sleep because you gotta find it. You can be anxious. You can be full of stress. How many of you have ever lost your wedding ring? Raise your hand if you ever lost your wedding ring. All right. A handful of us lost your wedding ring. You noticed. You went searching. You know what? Even if your wedding ring might not have a whole lot of monetary value, it's valuable to you. You turn the house upside down searching for your ring. It's an all-out search. It's a great picture of this woman. It's an all-out search. Why? Because, because it has value to you. The more meaningful that item that you lost, the more you search. The more you relate to what's being said here. The more you light the lamp, sweep the floor, Go on an all-out search until that item is found. Think about it for a moment. What's the most valuable thing you've ever lost? The implication here isn't, wow, you and I as outcasts are amazing and so incredibly valuable. No, the implication here is how amazing God is. God is in his mercy, and his love, and his grace, searched out you and I, the outcast. God searches for me, the unclean and unworthy and undeserving. We're to read the text and realize I'm not what's amazing in the text. What's amazing in the text is God. Because sinners matter to God. That's amazing. Because sinners are lost and they matter to God. And that's amazing. Because God is on an all-out search for lost sinners. And that is amazing. Number three, the heart of God is revealed in the extent of the search. We might think, what's the big deal? One coin is missing. I read that this is perhaps to be about the value of one week's salary in the day. We might think it's a big deal, but it's not a huge deal. One coin, does it really matter? Point of the parable is one lost person greatly matters to the heart of God. The extent that God will go to find that which is lost reveals his affection for that lost person. The extent that which you will go to find your lost item reveals your affection for that item. So 
I know years ago I shared with you one time we were on an island and we lost my son Tim. Tim is now 19. He was probably about three at the time. Able to toddle around. Um, we lost him. It was a terrifying moment. We did find him. I won't, I won't revisit that story. I asked Tanner if I could share. In 2017, summer of 2017, Tanner was 12. We were um, at a cabin in Helen, Georgia. That cabin is a favorite vacation spot. Sorry for the finger there. Um, favorite vacation spot. We were just there with the Bowmans this last um, uh, Thanksgiving. We've been there many times. Uh, it's a great cabin, somewhat in the mountains, more hills, big hills than mountains. Um, and we lost Tanner. We lost him bad. There's a reason there's a fire truck there. This is, this is um, before other vehicles arrived. Um, so Tanner uh, likes to go. There's a golf cart course. I think we're on the fourth hole in the backyard through those trees down a little slope. It's a golf course, and he likes to collect the golf balls that old men lose. And so he rounds up all the golf balls, and he had asked, as a 12-year-old, can I go, sure, you can go do that. And me and Kim and uh, Tim remained in the jacuzzi, enjoying, enjoying uh, the jacuzzi. And after probably about 20 minutes, Kim began to whistle. And if you've been around when our kids were younger, you know what that whistle is. You've heard it. And so no response and louder whistles, no response. Kim's face, getting nervous. Okay, I'll get out. And Tim got out as well. We dried off, changed. We'll go, we'll go look for him. But pretty solidly sure we're just going to go down. And he's just not hearing the whistle. We're going to see him on, on the fourth hole, probably down a little ways. And uh, so we go down there and no Tanner. And so we go to the next hole over and no Tanner. And what, what initially was not a big deal and no real urgency or concern started to just build a little bit in me. Um, your voice starts to get louder as you're hollering for your son and no response. And uh, so we had started to jog the course a little bit. We're getting further away from the cabin. And finally, I realized, you know what? This isn't good. I don't have my phone and I can't communicate with Kim. And he might even have wandered back from another direction. He could be back at the cabin. And so we, we run back to the cabin and no, he's not there. And I have to report to my wife, we've lost him. She needs to get in the car and start driving the streets. Timmy will head in another direction on the golf course, running. I will run in the other direction. We've all now got our phones. After another 15 or 20 minutes goes by, we cannot find him. Panic has now arrived in our hearts. And I called Kim and told her, you need to go to the front gate. There's a very large gated community huge hills up and down, go to the front gate and we need to make sure nobody gets out with a vehicle without it being searched and call 911. It's getting dusk and uh, that's when 
the first fire engine arrived. The uh, fire chief interacts with me and eventually a policeman interacts with me. Of course, they want pictures of Tanner and, uh, and fortunately, by God's grace, uh, they informed me that they were having uh, a meeting and there was a lot of extra volunteers at the meeting and they ended the meeting and all the volunteers came and they all went trickling down um, behind this house and we all spread out and uh, it's getting later and later and we cannot find this kid. And as a parent, you know, if you've ever lost your kid, how many of you lost your kid? All right, more people than lost their ring. <laughs> you know, when it gets to that point and we're aware, well, here's the options. Has he been abducted? We're talking to every stranger that we might run into. Have you seen this boy? Um, we're aware because they are, I wouldn't call them mountains, but the hills, they're really big hills and there's lots of ravines and we're concerned, you know, he may have slipped. He may have cracked his head on a rock and he might be at the bottom of a ravine. He's not hearing us. We are yelling for Tanner. Um, we're thinking uh, there's wild animals and it's getting dark. Listen, the words here in the text that she seeks diligently, that's a good word. Seeks diligently. We were seeking diligently. I'm, I'm trying to process, okay, it's getting dark. What are we going to do if the lights go out? We're going to go to the hardware store. We're going to buy a hundred flashlights. We're going to knock on every neighbor's door and we are not sleeping tonight until we find this kid. It was terrifying. We found him. <laughs> the story ends good. I tell you what though, I'm jumping around a little bit here. But when the scripture says, that when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Oh my. The celebration when you find that which is most valuable to you, you embrace and you do not want to let go. This poor kid, yeah, his mother squeezed all the air out of him. You know, it's valuable. There's, 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 there's no comparison of value of any material thing that any parent has. There is no comparison. The search is relentless. About 30 minutes after we reunited and we had been celebrating, of all things, my phone went off. It was an amber alert. My heart sunk for a parent that was out there. At this point, it was dark out. I don't think I've ever gotten an amber alert since the summer of 2017 that I wasn't reminded that might have been ours. 
search this woman has for this coin is she seeks diligently, I must find it. And the point of the parable is we're to see this is the heart of God towards lost people, towards the outcast, towards the despised. She lights the lamp. It's probably a dusty straw floor. She sweeps the floor. She seeks diligently. Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and he's saying to us that he himself is on an all-out search for that which is lost. Pharisees have no room for this. The reality, when it says that she seeks diligently, we're to be aware of God's diligent seeking for that which is lost. How does God diligently seek for that which is lost? Christ will leave the comforts of heaven and he will take on human flesh and he will be tempted in every way. He will live in the filth and the disgust, the evil world in which we live. He will grow to be a man he will begin to make his way to Jerusalem. He will set his face on Jerusalem because he will make his way, he is making his way to the cross of Christ. He is living the parable right before the eyes of the Pharisees. To what extent... Will God go searching for the lost? How will God seek diligently? Well, the father will send his son. The son will submit to the father and he will go to the cross and he will be crucified on the cross because he is in an all out search for that which is missing. Praise be to God. We serve a God who seeks diligently for that which is lost. He will take on that human flesh. He will joyfully make his way to the cross. He will sacrifice himself on the cross, not because he was guilty, but because he was innocent. He will sacrifice himself and he will take on our guilt, our sin. To what extent will God seek diligently? He will become sin as if he committed all of our sin and he will give us his righteousness. He will receive the justified right judgment for our sin and he will give us new life in Christ. To what extent will God seek diligently for that which is lost? It's stunning. It's the heart of God for lost people. God, forgive us. Forgive us for being Pharisees. Forgive us for despising. Forgive us for looking down our pharisaical noses 
at lost people, thinking them to be below us. We were all below him. That's the point. He condescended himself and took on human flesh. The glory of what Jesus is communicating to us in these parables, and there's two more coming. Next week, Juan Carlos Hernandez will preach the lost sheep. And then the following week, Alex will preach the lost son. The glory of what he's communicating to us is God came searching for you. And when he did, he did more than turn the lamp on and sweep the floor. He came and he died on the cross for our sins. We didn't deserve the search. Point number four. When what's lost is found, there is great joy. I'm going to invite the worship team to join with me on the platform. Verse 9 again. And when she has and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, "Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I'd lost." Oh, we we had a moment of celebration with strangers. We didn't, we didn't know the neighbors. We didn't know the police officers. And we didn't know the firemen or the volunteers. They didn't even know their names. But boy, I was shaking hands. I was thanking people. Rejoice with me. For I found the coin that I had lost. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow. If that doesn't reveal the heart of God for lost people. All of heaven is joining in the celebration. One sinner has come to Jesus Christ. Heaven rejoices when the outcast, when the disdained, when the leper, when the stay away from me leper comes to know Jesus. Call your friends. It's time to celebrate. Here's the point that the Pharisee needed to see and here's the point that we need to see as well. Heaven's Joy is found in a sinner's repentance. We found our son. Let's celebrate. You may be here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You might not be a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that God himself is seeking you out. One of the things we like to remind people on a Sunday morning is you're not here by accident. You're a coin. (laughs) Meaning God deliberately has you in this place at this time to hear this message. It's not an accident that you're here. God 
is turning on the lamp, sweeping the floor and seeking diligently because he loves you. He cares about you. And he wants you to come to a place of repentance. Repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Believer, how does your heart need to grow to be less like the Pharisee and more like the Savior? God is searching for the lost. Ready to be amazed? He does his searching through you. What? If we had more time, there's plenty of scriptures we could go to make our case for that. He does his searching through you. We are called to love. We are called to care. We are called to join him in the all-out search for the lost. This is also, believer, this is a call to worship. I'm not talking about singing. It is that, but it's more than that. It is loud singing and dancing and clapping and celebrating, thanking God because you and I were not worthy to be sought after. And yet he searched for you and he found you. And so sure, let there be loud singing and clapping and shouting to the Lord. But worship is more than singing. Worship is all of life. And Luke 15 calls us to worship the Lord, to revel in the love of God and the care and the grace and mercy of God. And it should drive us, Lord, I want to join in on your mission. I give you all of me, all that I am. That's worship. I renounce my laziness. I renounce my indifference. I renounce my arrogance, my Phariseeism, because glory be to God, he came after you and he came after me. He sought you out diligently because it's in his heart to do so. Let's stand together and worship our God.